Thank you, brother. Thank you. God bless you. Well, good evening, folk. Huh. My mama always told me, said, son, when somebody speaks to you, it's, it's polite to speak back. So let's try that again, okay? Good evening, folk. See, there I knew you probably had a mommy too, amen. <laughs> Take your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11 and verse 23 is where we'll be reading from. And uh, as we're getting ready to read this, we're going to stop and pause for just a few moments and uh, give you time to bow your head and search your heart for a few moments and ask God to cleanse you from any sin that you have. Because if you're out of fellowship with God here tonight, you will not receive what you need to receive. Because the carnal mind is at enmity with God, not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And so let's bow our heads and take about 30, 45 seconds and ask God to cleanse us and to forgive us and to fill us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. In Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 23, the Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, Amen. greater riches than the treasure in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover, and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Father, bless the reading of the Word of God, bless the hearing of the Word of God, bless the preaching of the Word of God. And Lord, I present myself to you tonight the best way I know how, and asking that you just use me as an instrument in your mighty hand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want you to take now and go back to Hebrews chapter number one and verse number 13 through verse number 14. I want you to look at what this Bible says here. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit, I want you to notice, on my right hand until I make thine enemies the foot, thy footstool. Now watch this. Are they not all ministering spirits? That's going back to the angels sent forth to minister for them. Now watch what he says, who shall, be, who shall be heirs of salvation. Did you notice that shall be? That means that God has assigned an angel to you from the time of your conception until now, and you'll have angels watching over you all of your life. The amazing thing is God does not leave something to chance. He made you. He placed you where you are. You were born in the right 
time at the right time and the right family. He started training you from the time you were born to serve him. And you, it is not about you. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about them that need to know him. And so one of the problems we have today, we focus too much on ourselves. Now I want you to think about Moses. When he was born, he was born in a terrible time, seemed like. They were destroying all or trying to destroy all the male Hebrew children. But his mother and father saw that he was a proper child and they hid him. They put him out there in a, a little ark, a little boat in that, uh, in that crocodile infested river, the Nile River. They put him there close by where the king's daughter came to bathe. She came that morning with her uh, ladies and looked down and saw this little boat out there and they brought it out and she adopted him. Now, isn't that a strange thing? And she looked around and said, I need some help, basically. And all of a sudden, a young lady appeared, Miriam, and said, uh, uh, my mother could take care of him. And so she hired Moses' mother as a wet nurse, and she nursed him and took care of him until he came to a certain age and then went back to the palace. God's got a sense of humor. He paid her to take care of her own child. And at her knee, he learned that he was an Israelite. He knew that he was a Hebrew. Now, as time went on, Moses is like a lot of us. He wanted to serve God his own way. When he came 40 years old, he looked around and saw a couple of, 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 of Israelites being abused by this fellow, this Egyptian, and he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Next day he came by and there was a couple of Israelites fussing and each other and he rebuked them and they said, what are you going to do to us? You want to kill us like you did that Egyptian yesterday? And he knew that it was known. He took off a running. Now he's a fugitive now from the government. He's a murderer. And he's out going to the backside of the desert where he will spend 40 years following his father-in-law's sheep. This man does not know God. He knows about God because of his raising there with his mother, but he does not know God. And he's out there and now he becomes about 80 years old. He's walking out across the plains and lo and behold, a bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And he turned aside to see the bush and God spoke to him. He met up that day with Jesus Christ. If you have the manifestation, manifestation in the Old Testament of God, it's always Jesus Christ. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the only one that we know that we see or have been seen on this earth 
is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. You must understand that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That's Genesis 1.1. And you turn to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And all things that were made were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. The one who spoke the worlds into existence in Genesis 1 is the same one that went to the cross of Calvary and died in your and my place. My, what a gracious God. Now, there that day, Moses turned aside to see. That's repentance. And he got saved. And God said, I got a job for you. I want you to go back down here and, let, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So he goes back after fussing with God and trying to uh, outmaneuver God. You can't outmaneuver God. And God gave him his brother to be his mouthpiece and he gave him a fit, amen. He just needed to trust God because the Bible says that he was an eloquent man at one time. You go ahead and study his life. And now this man is serving God. He goes down to Egypt and there those 12 plagues destroyed all of the theology of Egypt. They worshiped the bulls and God killed them. They worshiped the flies and the fleas and the river and the sun and God shut it off. And you know what? God will be not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. Four hundred years they persecuted God's people, but God was training a nation, getting them ready to go into the promised land and to fulfill the will of God. Amen. And so now, after he got through and those plagues, after that night, whenever they took the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lentil and all of this, and it dripped on the threshold. God passed by. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over them. And all that were under that blood were saved. All the firstborn that was under that blood did not die, but all the firstborn that was not under the blood died that night. Can't you hear the wailing? And so God sends them out mighty crowd, probably about two and a half or three million people. They get to the Red Sea. They've seen all the plagues. They've seen the hand of God, but now they're shut up the Red Sea. Here comes Pharaoh's army. Mountains on one side, a swamp on the other side, the Red Sea before them. And they get afraid. And Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And God said, hey, don't stand still. Said, put your, your staff over this sea and God split it asunder. And they went across. And as they got on the other side, lo and behold, here comes Pharaoh's army. And they said, well, they did it. We can do it too. 
But let me just tell you something. You cannot presume upon the goodness of God. You that are not saved, dearly beloved, you cannot presume upon God's goodness. And they took off out there. And as they got in the middle of that, God shut that thing down. Destroyed. Now they're out in the promised land. They're getting ready to go into the land. And yet, God's working on them. He's got to get them prepared to go into this land. You have to understand, they came out of Egypt just like you came out of Egypt, which is the world. God saved you out with the blood. Now you're out here in this wilderness of life. And sometimes you're not trusting Him whenever you're supposed to walk by faith and live by faith and do what God tells you to do according to this book. But they didn't have any commandments. There was no law given. Moses go up on the mountain, goes up on the mountain. God calls him up there and meets with Jesus. And he meets with Jesus on the mountain. And he gives him the Ten Commandments. The law was not given so that you might be saved. The law was given to a redeemed people so that they might know how to live. And that's the difference. You've got some of this crowd today that says in the Old Testament time uh, that they were saved by a law and grace. But I'm here to tell you that which is not of grace is sin. That's not which is not of faith is sin. And you're not saved by uh, your works. You're saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. Amen. And so now they're out here in this wilderness. God sends a 12 spies out. They are uh, went out there and only two of them believed God. The other 10 were afraid. And fear and faith can never coexist. Never. And so they come back and they, the majority report said, we can't go. We'd be like grasshoppers in the sights of those giants. And Caleb and Caleb and Joshua said, hey, we can go. And they fussed at each other and fussed with around and was getting ready to stone Moses. And God said, all right, I'm going to fix you. All of you that are 20 years old will live, but the rest of you over 20 years old, those of you over 20 years old except Joshua and Caleb shall die in this wilderness. You say, where's the grace of God? God's getting a generation ready to go into the promised land. And he had a generation that came out of Egypt that would not trust God. And they sinned the sin unto death. And here they are, 40 year march, a funeral march. Day after day, people dying for 40 years. And then God had fed them out there in that wilderness. He had given them drink out of the water. 
that rock that followed them, which was Jesus, the Bible says. And the second time that they needed water, God told Moses to speak to the rock. But Moses disobeyed. And he slapped the rock with his rod and said, here's what he said. We have to give you water, you rebels. <clears throat> and you know what he did? He put himself on the same plane as God and God said, you're not going in the promised land. And so he died before the promised land. Now they're getting ready to come into the promised land. It's left to Joshua. And Joshua had never been spoken to God, spoken to by God because Moses was God's spokesman and he spoke to him. They get into this land. They getting ready now. They were instructed to go around the city so many times for seven days and be quiet. Couldn't have been a Baptist church. Huh. Huh. I wonder if most of you could be quiet for 30 seconds, much less for seven days. And then they shouted, blew the trumpets, and the walls fell down. Now, I've got a crazy mind. My mind said when I read that, how did they get over that rubble? Have you ever thought about a wall that's about 20 or 25 foot high, maybe 30 and three chariots wide, and it just falls down in the rubble? That's a lot of rubble to get over. Well, I was in Baptist Bible College and we had a archeologist come there and lecture us one time when I was in school and and they just dug up some places of Jericho. And they said it was an amazing thing about that old city. Said the walls fell straight down. Said there was a crevice opened up and it fell flat. Except for one place. And that was Rahab's house. And they went straight, the Bible says they went straight in. You know, you can learn some things if you read the Bible <laughs> and believe it, amen? The problem is we read things and we don't look at it. We don't understand what's happening. And then they said, boy, we'd be somebody. Sound like a Baptist church whenever God blesses them. We'd be somebody. Said, let's go down here and take care of AI. I said, we don't need a couple thousand men two or 3,000 men said, we don't need everybody. We'll go down and take care of this. We will take care of this. And they come back 36 men short. And Joshua falls down on his face. God tells him to get up. And he looks up and sees this mighty man here, angel or whatever he thought. And he said, who are you? He said, I am the captain of the Lord's host, Jesus Christ. Amen. And Jesus Christ speaks to him and they get up and go on. Now, what are you saying, Brother Osteen, about this? Well, what is, why, why are you bringing all this up? Well, number one, 
You must trust God for salvation. You can't save yourself. There's no way you can save yourself. Water can't save you. A wafer can't save you. A woman can't save you. You cannot save, be saved by your works. It's only by Jesus Christ, the son of the living God who died in your place and my place and got up. Hallelujah. And you need to understand and realize that the one that died on the cross of Calvary is God incarnate. God incarnate. Amen. Paul writes the whole book of Hebrews trying to explain to his people who Jesus is. They were looking for a Messiah. They were not looking for a Savior. They thought they had it all figured out. I had a lot of things figured out at 27 years old, but I didn't know how to be saved. Ten days before I was saved, God uncapped hell, or and well, seven days before I was saved, God uncapped hell and put me over it and scared me half to death. That was the first time in my life that I knew I was lost. I knew I wasn't the best of persons sometimes, but I was better than a lot of other folk. And they that Judge themselves by themselves are not wise. And so, you know what I did? I went and got drunk. I couldn't stand what I saw. That's why people take dope, why they get drunk, why they go out here and do a lot of things. Uh, they're trying to escape who they are. When you wake up, honey, you'll still be the same person, amen. O.S.M. Lockridge, that great Baptist preacher, colored Baptist preacher said that he had a fellow come into his office and he had been drinking and he had had a bad week and he said he was crying and he said, preacher, pray for me, pray for me. He said, why are you drinking? He said, I want to escape my troubles. And he said, troubles cannot be drowned. They swim. Went back home and that day and passed out on the couch. I woke up and wife was wiping my, I was on a Saturday and I was wiping my face with a wet cloth and said, it's going to be all right, honey. And I said, it's not going to be all right. And so I went to bed that night, sobered up on Sunday and went to work Monday. Came back from work and I was taking a shower and the wife poked her head in the bathroom door and said, honey, can I have the car tonight? I said, what do you want the car for? I said, I want to go to church. Well, I think this woman's gone crazy. She goes to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, visitation. Now she wants to go to church on Monday. What in the world's going on? What's going on? She said, having a revival. I said, okay. And she started to shut the door and I said, would you go get me that pair of dress pants and dress shirt and my dress shoes? She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going with you. I went there that week on a Monday and Tommy Stone from out of Texas was a preacher. Lord God, was he a preacher. <laughs> and playing that saw and all this other stuff, you know. But I still did not know how to be saved. 
I sat there and listened to him. It's never clicked. And listened to him and listened to him, yet under conviction and under conviction. And I couldn't go to church on Friday night because I was, had an appointment, was trying to buy some property that fell through because it wasn't in God's plan for me. And that night after service, Gene came in and I said, them preachers need to come see me. And they said, they're coming tomorrow afternoon at 2.15. That's a 36 day, a 26th day of June in 1965. So I'm waiting for them. 2.15, they show up. Wife goes in the back room, takes the children back there and she's praying. And Tommy Stone gave me a little Bible and he said, uh, uh, Brother Osteen, and he called everybody brother, he said, do you know you're lost? And I said, I, I know that I'm lost, Brother Stone. What I want to know is how to be saved. Amen. He started me down the Romans road. Amen. He got to Romans 5, 8. But God commends his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. And it clicked. Amen. And I'm sitting there on my couch and I suddenly realized that Jesus loved me personally and died for me personally. And I did business with God. I trusted him, got saved and the light came on and the world changed. I don't know what he's doing. He's on reading the Bible, going on down somewhere and, and everything. And finally he said, would you like to pray? And I said, yeah, and I fell on my knees, started praying. See, I'd read the Bible through twice before I was saved. Uh, uh, the uh, New Testament about probably 25 times and the book of Revelation probably 100 times. And I started praying and quoting scripture. Wow. Praising God. And my wife heard me in the back end of that little old trailer there. And she come running down through there shouting. That Cajun girl shouting and praising God. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, she even talked in tongues for a little bit. <laughs> it was French. <laughs> and we had to count meeting time. Got up off my knees. Brother John Aldridge was a pastor. And uh, my wife had told me before I could save, said, we need to tithe. And I said, I'm not giving my money to that preacher. He needs to go to work. He don't do anything. <laughs> They'll preach on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I'm not giving my money to him, but she was tithing out of the household money that I gave her. And uh, got off my knees and reached in my pocket and got my, or got through hugging the wife and reached in my pocket. I got my pocketbook out and I told Brother John, I said, hold your hand out. He held it out and I started putting money in it. He said, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, I'm tithing. Christians are supposed to tithe, aren't they? He said, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I gave them $100 to start a library in the church. So I've never had any problem about this giving business. If you've got a problem about giving, giving you probably need to be saved. Amen. Amen, Brother Osteen. Or get right with God. You're not tithing and giving your offerings. You're a dirty, rotten thief. Thank you, Brother Osteen. You're welcome. I'm glad you came. I'm glad you came tonight, you old Pharisee. Amen. Now listen to me. God's been good to me. Amen. But you know where it began? 
It began at Calvary. One of the things that you can do and must do in your life is never get away from Calvary. Now, Calvary does not save you. The cross is where Jesus died to save you. And he was resurrected to bring you to full salvation, but he died to pay the price for your sin. Though the cross without the resurrection will never save anyone. Had a lady in Canada came to hear me preach five Sundays. I always let people come hear me preach before I go visit them unless they ask for a visitation, visit time. And so I let them soak a while. You know, I learned in Louisiana, if you're going to do anything with them old hard beans and make good red beans and rice, you got to soak them beans. <laughs> and then you got to put a fire under them and slowly let it circulate. And so if you don't have the water of the word and the fire of God, dearly beloved, you won't get anybody saved. So here it was, you know. And so I went down to her house that day on a Monday. She fed us a nice lunch, good lunch. And so I put my Bible and slipped over by her and I laid it down where she could see it. I said, do you know you're saved? I know you're lost, ma'am. She said, yes, I want to be saved. So I started her down through the Romans road. She said she knew she was a sinner, said she knew she was going to hell and all this, gave all the right answers. I got down to Romans chapter 10, where it says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen. And I said, do you believe in the resurrection? And she said, I believe in a spiritual resurrection. I said, you believe that Jesus' body rotted somewhere in the tomb? She said, yes. I said, if you believe that, you can't be saved. And here's what she said. If I've got to believe that, I'll just go to hell. I just closed my Bible and got up and I looked back at her and I said, have a bad eternity and left. She never came back to church. I never saw her again. As far as I know, she went to hell. But I want you to understand that Jesus only saves those who believe and those who repent and those who acknowledge that they are sinners and believe in the resurrection. Let me close with this. God took Abraham from his mother's womb and trained him to, I mean, God, God took Moses from his mother's womb and trained him to lead Israel out. How many of you here tonight are saved? Slip your hand up real high. Real high. I want to see. I want to look. If you can't raise your hand, if you're saved, don't raise it. Okay. Um, greatest majority of, okay. Put your hands down. Now listen to me carefully. You're no accident. And God has used everything in your life to train you for his work. I spent 27 years lost. 
I'm a carpenter by trade, a cabinet maker. And those 27 years were not wasted. I learned a lot of stuff that helped me. Helped me to build buildings, work in church as carpenter and doing all that. And how to deal with people because I had my own business. I learned a lot of things, but when I got saved, the whole world changed. And you know, I had some people I did not only didn't like, but I hated. But I found out that I'm to love those that despitefully use me. I found out that I'm supposed to love sinners because sinners love those that love them. You know the reason some of you can't reach anybody? You don't love them. Now I want you to understand that I didn't come here without a revival. I have a revival in my soul. I don't have to have you to have a revival. See, when you're in fellowship with God and walking with God and praising God and trusting God, you have a revival in your soul. Revival is an individual thing. And enough get together with it, it will sweep through a church. And some of you here tonight need a revival in your soul. Wonder what would happen if this church got revived. I'm talking about a true old-fashioned God-shaking revival. Wonder what would happen. I'll tell you what would happen. You don't even know what would happen. You'd see things happen that you've never seen before. I've been in some great revivals. I've seen God do great things. I preached in one church over in Mississippi 28 days. One church. We had several Baptist churches coming, a Pentecostal church and a Methodist church was over with. And people were getting saved every night. And I'll tell you what, it started with a church and a people getting right with God. And God worked. How many of you have got people that you pray for that are lost? Raise your hands. Come on, slip them up. All of the house. All of the house. Okay. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again rejoicing and bringing his sheaves with him. My wife prayed for me for five years before I was saved. And whenever she got down to Slidell, under Brother John Aldrich's ministry, she got some women to pray for me, four women to pray with her at the altar. Brother Aldrich said he'd seen the time when tears puddled up and dripped on the floor. And women prayed on my soul. God, I hear that kind of prayer. Amen. You see, some of you have never really been involved in real prayer for the lost. Tonight we're going to give an invitation. Give me a pianist somewhere. Come around or something, whoever's going to play or whatever, or however you do it. And let me just explain to you that this church 
could shake the world if this church would get right with God. You don't even know what you could do until you get right. Let's stand to our feet. Father, here's these people, thy people. I pray here tonight that you will touch every person here, that God will move and the power and the presence of God will be here. And Lord, that when it's all said and done, that we can look back and see what God has done. Help these folks to move around these altars, get a hold of God and let God work and let God work in their life and work in the life of this church and the life of their community and the life of the world. Touch us now in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear these altars, come on.